Well, hello, Christ Community Online. Tim Spanberg here. So glad you're taking time with us in what is one of the most momentous Sundays ever, our last mobile church Sunday. And even though you're watching online, next week this building will be ready to to house services, right? So five and a half years, setting up and tearing down in all kinds of locations. Next Sunday, July 19th, we will be here at 9 and 1045. We cannot wait for that. But, but this really marks the end of an era for us. Um, and so if you're new and we don't know you, we would love to get to know you. There's an online connect card you can fill out for us to get to know a little bit about you. Uh, or if this is your church home, and, and, uh, or if, even if it's not your church home, and, and there's a way we can pray for you, uh, our online forms have a prayer card as well. We would love to do that and pray with and for you in the season. But like I said, this is, this is a really like, important next two weeks, just a, a moment of change in this, in this community. And really, I think God has put two perfect texts to be our last church mobile Sunday, right? Like setting up a tearing down in a pavilion or you watching online here. And then our first Sunday in a building, the text for that is perfect as well. Um, and so I'm excited uh, to, to lay out a little bit of what God has for us and to speak into this important moment um, for our, our community. So I want to pray for us. Or actually, I'm going to read the text first, then I'm going to pray for us. Um, but our text for this morning, it's Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. So if you have a Bible, turn there. That's where we'll be. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now great crowds accompanied Jesus... And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit, count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let's pray. God, there are some texts that when we, we read them and we get ready to, to speak on them as a church, I'm excited. Because it's your heart and it's your grace and it's your kindness and it's your peace. This is a challenge to us. And yet you are no less a God of grace and kindness and peace. So lead us into this text, what Jesus wants for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in my senior year of college, uh, me and a couple friends went on a very long West Coast road trip, and we, we saw some of the most beautiful spots in, uh, in the West. We went to the Grand Canyon. We went to Glacier National Park. Uh, we saw the Sierra Nevada Range in California. It was incredible. And, and along the way, we had someone tell us, listen, you need to go to Glacier National 
Park. It's the, it's the gem. It's the most beautiful national park. And so we had originally planned to go to Seattle. We said, no, you know what, let's go to Portland, or, to, or rather to Glacier National Park instead. So we did that, and, and we, we go there, we drive, we get there, and listen, when, by the time we got there, we had no money left to even buy a camping uh, site. We, we were broke. We just barely had enough money to get home with gas. We were incredibly tired, exhausted. We tried to do a little hike uh, in Glacier, and just, we just gave up. We were so tired. We slept in a parking lot the night uh, we got there. I mean, just, we, were, we were broke. We were tired. We, we could not do it. And so even though we, all, we saw the beauty of Glacier, like no question, this is in, more incredible than even the Grand Canyon, more incredible than Crater Lake, because we were broke, because we were tired, we had to leave all of this beauty and just drive home. And now it's like, that's crazy. But I, listen, in the moment there, I, that's how I felt. I just, I, I'm just exhausted. I want to go home. And in many ways, the text Jesus is teaching today for us is that for, for many, that's where they get with Jesus. They say, you know what? I, I'm tired. I'm broke. I can't do this anymore. And so Jesus is, wants to open our eyes to a couple things so that won't happen to us. So the question really at the heart of this text is what does it cost to follow Jesus? What is Jesus saying is the cost of following him? And I want to say two things to that. I want to start by saying it's the cost first of, of loyalty. All right, so Jesus, uh, he offers a teaching here that, listen, it's, it's offensive, okay? Like, let's just, I can't sugarcoat this, right? Like Jesus says, listen, if you don't hate your own father, mother, wife, and children, brothers, and sisters, and it's like, yeah, you know that, if you're starting a religion, like this probably isn't the way to do that, right? Hey, listen, unless you hate your own family, you can't know me. So it's like, immediately we should be asking, what is he saying here? Because the other parts of the Bible, it says, honor your father and mother. So Jesus isn't literally saying, hate your parents. So what is he saying? Um, and there's a couple things going on here. One is that first, uh, Luke points out that great crowds are now accompanying him. Verse 25. So there's, Jesus has now attracted a crowd. And I, a part of what Jesus is doing, and he does this from time to time throughout the Gospels, is he will, make, he will say hard and difficult things and be okay when people leave him and say, this is too much. So listen, I, I say that we're... This is a building, right, that we built to attract new people, for new people to come in. That we hope new people will find church community and, and find Jesus and follow him. And yet we need to temper all of that by Jesus saying, well, hold on. Life with me is all about discipleship. It's not just about attracting a crowd. This is one thing Jesus is getting at. The other is, is what he's not saying is go hate your parents. What he, he's saying is if you prioritize your family relationships over discipleship to me, over discipleship to Jesus, you cannot be his disciple. Now listen, that sounds radical today. That was even more radical then because your, your center, center part of your identity in that day was your family. It was your siblings and it was your parents. And for Jesus to say, listen, to follow me, to be my disciple, I am more important than your siblings. My community is more important than your family community that would have been an offensive statement. As frankly it is today, if we were to take it seriously and we were to say, 
Jesus is more important than my own family relationships. So listen, this sounds really tough, but let me work this out for us just in terms of application. And this, listen, I, this is going to be, you just lean in a little bit, okay? Think about this through three different lenses. First, a political lens. Right, so all of us have political leanings or political vision or political thoughts. And Jesus is clearly saying, my discipleship to me comes before those things. If you, don't, if you don't appear to hate your own political vision or your own political party in comparison to your devotion and discipleship to me, you cannot be my disciple. And we need to hear this warning because throughout history are examples of Christians who centered and took more uh, a political vision and put a political vision at the center of their life instead of discipleship to Jesus. I, I saw an example of this in what I'm reading right now. I'm reading uh, Ulysses S. Grant's personal memoirs, which are incredible if you've, if you've never read them. He wrote them at the end of his life. Uh, he was very poor, even though he had been a president, a great Civil War general. Uh, wrote them in the end of his life because he wasn't sure uh, he was going to be able to provide for his family after his death. And he, he wrote, incre- I mean, it's incredible. And as I read the story of him and his growing up in Georgetown, Ohio, um, almost on the, the border of Ohio and Kentucky, um, he didn't say much about churches or religion. In fact, all he said was this. There were churches in that part of Ohio where treason was preached regularly, And where, to secure membership, hostility to the government, to the war, and to the liberation of slaves, was far more essential than a belief in the authenticity or credibility of the Bible. And there were men in Georgetown who filled all the requirements for membership in these churches. It's the only comment on religion in the church in Ulysses S. Grant's memoirs about his childhood, was there were churches that far more important than the Bible was being pro-slavery, uh, being, uh, being anti-government or anti-liberation uh, uh, of the slaves. That was more important to membership and discipleship in those churches than the Bible. That, is, that should be a warning sign to us. And we see it in our own day uh, as, as well. People who, on the issue of, of pro-life, right, don't, don't affirm the dignity of human beings inside the womb to gain a, a political persuasion or to, to put another political vision at the center of their life instead of Jesus, who makes clear in Genesis 1, uh, uh, or by quoting Genesis 1, but, but in Genesis 1 in our scriptures, it says every human being is made in the image of God, in the womb, out of the womb, no matter the color of their skin. And yet we have history littered with Christians who gave up that teaching because they were more discipled in another political vision. So what is at the center of your life? Is it discipleship to Jesus or, or a political vision that's not discipleship to Jesus? That's one. Two, uh, another lens to look through is, is the family lens. That's where Jesus goes. Think about it like this. I mean, when you look at your calendar, when you look at your priorities as a family, what's the centering vision for you? Is it discipleship to Jesus? Or is it getting into a good college? Is it securing a good future for your kids? And listen, as someone with kids, I get, like, those are important questions. And yet, do we center and, and orient our homes around discipleship to 
Jesus. That's why I'm so uh, proud of Katie and Olivia and their, their work of our Faith at Home bags and packets and trying to get, uh, uh, take what we're doing here and, and get it into your home because you are the primary spiritual leaders of your children. So through the lens of family, is your family centered on discipleship to Jesus or some, or some other vision? And then thirdly and finally, put it through the lens of your vocation. All right, when you go to work, do you think about your work and its contribution to this world through the lens of, of the gospel and through Jesus and his kingdom and discipleship to him or through your peers, through your colleagues or through the broader marketplace? What defines your vision of life for your family, your work, your politics? And we can go all down the line for your money, for your pleasures, for your hobbies. What Jesus is saying is, it costs loyalty to follow me. I come first in your life. Are you known for that? Zeal for Jesus, that your decision making is always filtered through the teachings of Scripture and Jesus. That everything comes back to Jesus. Everything comes back to him, discipleship to him. Because, listen, this is a hard word, but Jesus says it, not, not me. If that's not true, and if you don't want that to be true, and if you're not working for that to be true, what Jesus says is you cannot be his disciple. You cannot have loyalty to other things first and be his disciple. So that is the first way we answer the question, what does it cost to follow Jesus? The second cost is a cost of, of preference. Now, Jesus sort of re- reverses the order you, that our culture would uh, say this in, right? That culture was more of a communal culture. We're more of an individualistic culture. But then Jesus goes there, right? So he doesn't just say, listen, hate your own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters. Uh, yes, you even need to hate your own life. And if you don't, you cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The second cost that Jesus gets out here is the cost of preference. Anyone who does not hate his own life cannot be my disciple. Just sit in that for a second. What does that mean? What does it mean that discipleship to Jesus is me bearing up a cross to come after him and follow him? What is, that, what is he getting at there? And listen, I, it's never been easier to avoid the cost of discipleship because we can build our entire life on our preferences. We can be numbed by endless distractions. We can watch endless amount of entertainment to, uh, uh, to, to, to distract ourselves. We can, we can filter off into communities that only agree with us and never challenge our thinkings. And we make most of our decisions based on what I want, what will make me happy, what will give me joy. So if this season of pandemic has done anything for me, it, is, it has been to reveal how self-centered my own life is. From something as shallow as just being angry, I can't go and sit in a coffee shop and just be there for a few hours and read and pray and write a sermon there. All the way up to, to the more serious sin, like, like just being not present with my kids in ways I should be because I'm just tired and worn out and, and frustrated by the world in which you and I are living in in this, in this moment. This text was a reminder to me, before I get up and say anything to you about 
I've got to hate my own life. I've got to deny myself. I have to pick up my cross to follow him. It means my life's not built around me or my preferences or what I want or what I desire. It's built around him. So what, is, what does that mean? Well, I, I want to speak very, just very specifically about, about the season we're entering into as, as a church. Um, you know, I think anytime you go into a, into a building, right, you want, you, just, you want to invite lots of people and you want to do lots of things. Around. We had a bunch of events planned for this time of year and we can't, we're not going to do any of them at this point. Um, and, and there's another preference, um, preference dying. And, and here's the reality in addition is, is in a church in, in a pandemic, we, not, we cannot make choices that satisfy the preferences of every person. We just can't. And so what I want to do for a few minutes is just say, I, I want to I give you sort of the, I just want to let you into my thinking about what, what does it mean for us to meet together as a church? And, and I, I hope lay out some foundation for how we interact together over those things. All right, and so I, I want to say a, a few things just around what Sunday, July 19th is going to look like as we meet together. And the first thing I want to say is we're in a, we're in a pandemic where, interestingly, if you're, if you're in the healthier side of things, it's, it's listen, it's, take it seriously, but it's, it's not particularly serious in terms of affecting um, you in significant ways. But if you are in the vulnerable population, it's, it's incredibly um, it's incredibly serious, right? It's, it's, it's something that you need to take very, very um, seriously. And so already we have two communities, right? Healthier with whom um, maybe would be less concerned about the moment we're in, and the vulnerable who um, would be more concerned. And two different communities good, of good people with different preferences. And then we begin to, to look into, okay, well, what, what does mean together look like? And we'll, we'll listen here we get into more preferences, right? And what we found is there's basically three practices that, uh, that enable a, a great reduction in the, the transmission of the virus. All right, first is, is social distancing. So we're going to set chairs six feet apart in, in, in the sanctuary uh, when we worship together, right? Which is going to be weird. Uh, maybe not to introverts. Introverts is like six feet, people six feet away, like, amen. Finally, our preference wins uh, on that. Uh, but no, well, seats will be six feet away because keeping social distancing really helps reduce virus transmission. Second, there's a, a state mandate now around masks. And uh, while the science has been debated very robustly over the last few months, um, the, the, the general guidelines today is that wearing a mask is a helpful mitigation um, tool. So we'll, uh, we'll abide by those regulation, regulations and ask you to wear a mask. Uh, unless you're in one of the, the, the vulnerable populations that actually wearing a mask makes things more dangerous for you, then we would say don't wear a mask, um, come. Um, but, but masks are another way of reducing transmission. And then thirdly and finally, and this is the hardest one, is it's pretty clear at this point that singing greatly increases transmission of the virus. Because we're all like putting out our stuff into the air. And so uh, for this season, uh, or at least for the first few Sundays, we're not going to do congregational singing together. Nelson. If, if we were, like, planning a church, you know, building for Sunday, we would never, like, ever do a service where it's like, hey, sit, stay six feet apart from people, 
put a mask on so people can't see your face, and we're not singing, right? Who, no one wants to go to that church, right? We all recognize that. Um, and, and, and yet we think those are, are wise mitigation tools today. And yet ask me a month from now, because this virus is like 10, 10 minutes old, we're trying to figure all this out. A month from now we may change our, our mind. It may, we may learn more information that helps us better inform how we meet together. But here, listen, I just want to name the fact that, first of all, like, I don't know that I'm right about any of those things. Um, in fact, I was thinking about this, uh, you know, my last year at seminary, I had, I had a choice between two classes. Uh, class one was uh, Hebrew exegesis of the book of Job, um, which is the class I took. And the other class I just didn't take was uh, how to perfectly make every decision for a church during a pandemic. And guys, I'm sorry, I just didn't take that class. And so I don't know what about masks or singing or any of this stuff, right? I'm, we're figuring it out. And listen, I'm just going to promise you now, I'm going to get stuff wrong um, as, I, as we talk together as a staff, uh, as we talk, as I hear feedback from you guys, I'm going to get things wrong. And I, I, want to even, I just want to add another layer that many of you know, some of you don't, but I'm a caregiver for one of my children who is in that vulnerable category, and that amplifies all of these decisions in significant ways for me. And the reality is that there is no decision where all preferences can be, can be met. And I'm sorry, I wish, I wish we could. We can't. And what I want to call us to as a community is there's going to be times when we're going to ask you to, to let go of your preferences for a season. I want to ask you, uh, I want to do that. Not because we think we're right about the pandemic. There's good people on both sides, right? And my, a quick aside, my hope is we as a church will not caricature people who disagree with us, right? If you, if you don't like the idea of not singing and, and wearing masks in church, that doesn't mean you don't care for the vulnerable. And if you do think we should wear masks and you don't think we should sing, uh, that, that doesn't mean um, that you're living in fear, right? We're not, we're not going to do that to one another. Instead, we're going to say as much as we can, Lay down our preferences, knowing we're all trying to figure this out together and enter into a community where, where what's at the center is not what I want. And that's hard, right? It's hard because it's hard um, whatever position you are in on, on this. And yet what I want to say is, is when we do that, when we lay down our preferences not even necessarily for something that's right or we agree with, or anything, but just when we lay down our preferences and we say, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to lay down my life and put you at the center, even if I disagree, right, or even if I don't think it's right. Jesus is saying, yes, that, that's the heart of discipleship. It's the heart of practicing following me. It's a hard word, and I hope, I hope you hear from me grace and kindness. Because I, I think... I think the world has enough people who, who live for themselves. And we, church, we Christians, are to be people who live with Jesus at the center and not our own preferences. And let me just say, that's a challenging word, right? But I, I want to encourage you because this has been the core ethos of our church, of our community. Why I love you guys so, so much. 
We have laid down preferences. I mean, guess think about some of the places we have met over the last five years. And if you're newer, you're going to get to hear some stories, right? We first met in a gym where we worshipped that could not properly heat itself in the winter or cool itself in the summer, which meant it was comfortable in Kansas City like five Sundays. It was like five Sundays, like 70 degrees, praise the Lord, right? The rest of the time, it was either so cold, y'all had your, your coats on, uh, like you were uh, freezing, or uh, you, it was like 85 degrees in there, and you were sweating like you stole something, right? It, listen, it was, it was bad, right? When you met in a gym, you laid down your preference. <laughs> and then from there, we went to Trail Ridge uh, Middle School, where we worshiped in a room that had a big sign that, says, I, that said, I'd rather eat bugs than do drugs. Which, like, if that doesn't lead you into the hearts of worship, what will? Um, Trail Ridge Middle School. Then we moved on to the, right, to the hotel, which let's, let, that was nice, right? Let's be honest. Maybe a little too nice for us, um, but that was nice. And then now, like, we've been in a pavilion uh, the last couple of weeks. Just to, listen, we've met everywhere. You guys have shown that you are a community of people who have laid down preference to serve others, to give to others, and our world needs that right now. And here's the thing. Um, if Jesus said all of these things and then sort of sat back and like looked at us, right, with a nasty look, that, like that would be pretty abusive, right? That would be bad as, as a leader. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus never asks anything of you. He won't do himself. And so when Jesus says, listen, I want you, I want you to give me Loyalty. I want you to put me first above all else. When Jesus says, listen, I, I want you to lay down your preference, lay down the way you want your life to go, and I want you to put me first. He would never have asked you to do that if he didn't first do it for you. Where his loyalty to you is, is, is so strong, so thick, he goes to a cross, he dies for you. His his own preferences of life, when he prays in the garden, Father, if, if, it could if this cup could pass from me, let it pass. Yet not my will, but your will be done. He laid down his preferences, his vision of life, to obey the Father's will and to go to a cross to bring you and me salvation. He has not asked anything of us that he hasn't first done himself. So when, when you hear those harsh words, listen, if you... If you don't put me above your family, if you don't put me above uh, your, your own life itself, you cannot be my disciple. Don't hear those words and give up. Hear those words and see him going to do that for you. Winning all of the costs or, or covering all of the cost of your sin, your brokenness, your shame. And then go and follow him. Have you followed Jesus? Have you made a, a decision to become a Christian and to take up your cross and follow him? I hope you will. And if you'd like to, I, I'd love to talk to you about that um, more. Jesus is the greatest human being who ever lived. He is the son of God. And he is worth giving your life to. So let me pray, and then I'll give a benediction for your day. God, those words still ring very 
very hard. If we don't lay down our preferences, don't lay down our loyalties, we cannot be your disciple. And yet those, God, those are not final words from your son to us. The final words is it is finished on a cross. And so we come incomplete, imperfect, with divided loyalties, divided preferences, my own self wanting to put my life ahead of him. And we thank you for the grace and kindness always available to us. And we pray, God, would you by your spirit empower us to be his disciples. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have questions or you'd like to know more about our church or you, uh, yeah, you'd just like to reach out, my email is tims at christcommunitykc.org. I would love to hear from you. Um, but with that, I'd love to leave you with this benediction from 2 Peter chapter 1, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 2. If you're comfortable, raise your hand to receive it. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord. May you go in his peace.